Chapter 43 of The Goddess of Atvatabar by William Richard Bradshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Fisher. Victory. The enemy, finding we were not disposed to leave Atvatabar, began to move down upon us once more in battle array. The Royal Fleet consisted of seventy ships, the former thirty having been either sunk or disabled by us. As for ourselves, the hurricane deck, masts and rigging had been hammered to pieces, but the hull was sound, the sailors enthusiastic, and the terrorite guns unharmed, and our spears invincible. As the enemy approached us, their ships began to move wider apart, with a view no doubt of circumnavigating us, and then close in upon the polar king as before. Another squeeze of this kind might prove fatal. Consequently, our plan was to keep the enemy at a safe distance and on one side of us, and destroy his ships one by one with our guns while out of range of his fire, if possible. The Admiral did us the favour of keeping around his ship half a dozen vessels by way of protection, and in this manner drew near. We were determined to bring the engagement to a close as soon as possible by striking the enemy a terrible blow. As soon as their vessels drew within range, we struck the central group with a shell from the giant gun. The explosion worked a tremendous havoc among the congregated vessels, but without waiting to learn its full effect, I ordered twenty shells to be fired into the central mass in quick succession. The result was appalling. The great want of gravity caused a vast irregular mountain of ships and water to be piled high in the air. We could hear the shrieks of drowning and dismembered fletchermings. Volumes of water shot to tremendous heights, became detached from the main mass, and floated in the air for a time in liquid globes. It was some time before the whirl of wrecked ships and angry water filled with perhaps thousands of wing jackets subsided to the level of the ocean again the ship sank beneath the water on which floated hundreds of dead bodies those fletchermings who had escaped accident or death headed by admiral jolnar who was still alive formed themselves into a compact mass as they hovered over the scene of the disaster for a final hand-to-hand -hand attack reinforced by thousands of fletchermings from the then unharmed vessels they approached with yells of bull Makar! Finding their ships useless, they were determined to fling themselves in heroic sacrifice upon us in such numbers as to crush us. This was precisely their most dangerous form of attack, but we could only await their coming. As the living mass of men approached, we saluted them with another discharge of shells, which exploded in the very heart of the unfortunate host. The carnage was dreadful, and hundreds of dead bodies fell into the sea. Admiral Jolnar was killed, and without their leader the Fletchermings became demoralised. Ere they could rally again, we were about to fire another round of shells, when Rear Admiral Girolio, with a few Fletchermings, left the main mass under a flag of truce and approached us. We were nothing loath to receive their message. Alighting on deck, the Rear Admiral informed us that owing to the loss of their Admiral, they were disposed to cease fighting, provided I would leave the country forthwith. Then, said I, you wish to report that you defeated us by driving us from the country? I shall report that it was a mutual cessation of hostilities, said he. It has cost us too much to give up the fight now, I said. One of us must surrender. Do you surrender then to His Majesty Almeri Bulmakar, King of Atvatabar? eagerly inquired the rear admiral. Do you surrender to Her Majesty Leone, Queen of Atvatabar? I replied. We make no such surrender, said he, very much surprised to know that Leone had been proclaimed queen. If we cannot conquer you by force of arms, we have ships enough to starve you into submission. We care nothing for your ships, I replied. We will destroy them one by one. You may sink our ships, said the rear admiral, but you will never conquer our Fletchermings. 
we will begin a hand-to-hand -hand conflict that will not cease until you and your entire crew are killed or are our prisoners. The truce is at an end, I replied. Return to your ships immediately. The rear admiral and his staff rose on their wings and, in a short time, regained the cloud of naval warriors that hung in the air half a mile away. During the truce, the ships of the enemy had drawn nearer and at once opened fire on us. A well-aimed shot struck us under the waterline, penetrating our armour and going clean through the side of the vessel. The central compartment filled rapidly with water. It was a fatal blow, for although the fore and aft compartments would keep the ship from sinking, yet it soon put out our boiler fires and left us a helpless hulk upon the water. The main deck, containing our terrorite guns, was on a level with the water, and a quantity of terrorite and gunpowder rendered useless. We were in a terrible position, for our small stock of ammunition would soon be exhausted. The enemy soon discovered the effect of their blow, and closed around us like vultures hastening to their prey. We suffered a terrible bombardment that killed more of our men, and finally the Fletchermings closed around us in swarms to annihilate us. Resolved to sell our lives dearly, we received them with the discharge of our magazine guns. They quickly rallied and renewed their attack, but as long as our ammunition lasted, were afraid to come to close quarters. At last we drew our revolvers and the hand-to-hand -hand conflict began. Some of the sailors used their cutlasses with good effect. We had proof that the magnet spears in close quarters were terrible weapons. As I saw my men falling around me, I felt that the game was up. I thought of Leone, and the thought would not let me surrender. I was already wounded in the shoulder and body and stunned while the enemy was swarming in greater numbers than ever. Must we surrender? Suddenly at that moment a shell came screeching through the air and exploded above the ship, right among the whaleels, killing twenty or more. Merciful heavens! Can the enemy, after all, fire shells at us? But why use them when the fight is practically over? And why fire them among his own whaleels? Another and another shell exploded among the whaleels around us and finally a regular tornado of them exploded all around the Polar King, putting the enemy completely to flight. As soon as the air was cleared around us, I saw to my intense astonishment two friendly vessels, one of which bore the flag of the United States, and the other the flag of England, firing shells at the enemy. I then knew the cause of our deliverance and shouted for joy. My men, all that were alive, rose and cheered our comrades from the outer world. The excitement was overpowering. We could only, amid tears of joy, salute them, as signal them to keep up the fight. We were saved. A well-aimed shot from the Englishman sank still another vessel. This fresh disaster received from the strangers seemed to completely unnerve the enemy, for, strange to say, every ship afloat struck its colours in surrender. It was well that the rear admiral did so, for it would have been only a question of time until his whole fleet would have been destroyed. The Fletchermings retreated to their ships, and in a short time the gold-plated ship of Rear Admiral Girolio, under the flag of truce, came alongside our vessel. The Rear Admiral and his staff came on board and delivered up his sword in token of surrender. "'You surrender to me as Admiral of Her Majesty Leone, Queen of Atvatbar?' I said. "'I do,' said the Rear Admiral, "'and am willing to devote my services to the cause of Her Majesty. "'Will your Fletchermings, as well as yourself, swear allegiance to Queen Leone and her cause?' We swear it, yelled the Fletchermings of the rear admiral's ship. At a signal from the leader, the flag of the new queen took the place of the flag of his deposed majesty, King Aldmeri Bulmakar. In a moment, the entire fleet exhibited the flag of Her Holiness as the symbol of their new allegiance. This was a gratifying victory, as it procured for our cause more than 60 fully manned vessels of war and 25,000 Fletchermings. Leone was mistress of the seas. How came you to surrender at this juncture? I inquired of the rear admiral. 
Well, sir, he replied, we have already lost more men and ships than if we had been engaged with an enemy similarly armed and having as many vessels as ourselves, and when the strange vessels came to your assistance, we saw it was useless to prolong the fight. We saw that with your terrible weapons you were invincible. You can destroy us and we cannot destroy you. Therefore, I concluded as Rear Admiral of the Fleet and successor to Admiral Jolnar, who was killed in battle, that it was throwing life away to continue the fight. I saw, furthermore, that with you as the champion of the goddess, her cause would succeed, and I wanted to be the first to render homage to Her Majesty. You have acted well, I replied, and to reward your action, I now, in the name of Her Majesty, appoint and proclaim you Rear Admiral of the Fleet of Leone, Queen of Atvatbar. This announcement was received with the firing of guns and tremendous cheers. Rear Admiral Wallace, Rear Admiral Girolio and myself, I said to the sailors, will determine the question of who will become the remaining high naval officers. And now that the battle is over, let us see that our wounded are properly cared for and all ships afloat put in proper repair. It was a glorious victory. All this time, the two cruisers who so fortunately arrived in time to turn the tide of battle in our favour were rapidly approaching us, firing guns in honour of our victory. I acknowledged their arrival, as well as their valuable services, by having the royal fleet drawn up in double file, between which lay the polar king, and ordering every vessel to give the strangers a salute of one hundred guns. My anxiety to learn more of our allies was so great that I dispatched two of my most active wing-jackets to the strange vessels to procure accurate information concerning them and their object in visiting the interior world. The Whaleels returned with the information that the vessels were the United States ship of discovery Mercury, commanded by Captain Adams, and the English ship of discovery Aurora Borealis, commanded by Sir John Forbes. Both were fitted out by their respective governments to explore the interior world, consequent upon the report of Boatswain Dunbar and Seaman Henderson, the only survivors of the twelve men who left the Polar King when in the Polar Gulf. The respective commanders, officers and men of the incoming vessels were delighted to know that the Polar King was not only safe, but had discovered at Vatbar, and that its commander was at present King of the Realm. This was the substance of the dispatches sent me by Captain Adams and Commander Forbes, and addressed to Lexington White Esquire, Commander of the Polar King. Captain Adams stated that Boatswain Dunbar was on board his vessel as pilot, accompanied by Seaman Henderson. Owing to the waterlogged condition of the Polar King, we could only await the arrival of the vessels. When near at hand, a simultaneous salute of guns reverberated upon the sea, which must have been heard in all that Vatbar. Amid the smoke and noise of the roaring guns, steam launches had put off from the Mercury and Aurora Baralis, and in very short time the commanders of both vessels stood upon the deck of the Polar King, accompanied by their respective officers. I embraced Captain Adams and Commander Forbes, and introduced the strangers to Rear Admiral Wallace, Rear Admiral Girolio and staff, who were no less delighted and surprised than myself to receive visitors from the outer world. When the commanders reached the deck of the Polar King, the cheers of the American and British sailors, mingled with the shouts of our Fletchermings, made a soul-stirring scene. In fact, I was already beginning to think the outer world a more or less mythical place, and thought the doctrine of reincarnation had an illustration of proof in myself. After all, the outer world really existed, and, strange as it seemed to the Atvatbaris, there was really an outer sun and live beings like themselves, only physically more vigorous. It was necessary to set out at once for Kioram, as the Polar King was in a sinking condition. Every man had either been killed or wounded. We made a total loss of sixty men, including the ten who left the ship in the Polar Gulf, thus making the entire company of the Polar King but fifty souls. As for the ship, her plating was burst apart in many places and full of started bolts, caused by missiles of the enemy. The central compartment was filled with water. 
and the masts, sails, smokestack and hurricane deck were practically destroyed. Many of the guns were not struck once in the entire fight and were ready for active service any moment. The terrorite battery was partially submerged, but still in good condition. Captain Adams and Sir John Forbes both craved the honour of towing the Polar King into port, to which I willingly assented. As Admiral, I at once assumed command of the fleet, which I ordered to make sail for Kioram without delay. The fleet fell in behind in good order, and followed the Polar King, bearing the victorious flag of the Queen. End of chapter 43